0: Look to your neighbor and say, you're called. called. See, God has called you into greatness. He's called to bless you. You are under the favor of God. God has already given you the victory. Now, some of us walk through a series of situations in life, and, uh, you know, it's amazing what God does. He he actually does things in a little bit reverse uh, in the way we think. We think we have to work our way, earn our way into God's favor, where God actually places favor on sinners. And the favor is what dispenses grace, and it's His grace that opens our eyes to His goodness, and His goodness leads us to repentance. So if you're going through a battle, guess what? He's preparing you for promotion. There is no breakthrough without a battle. There is no victory without an enemy. There is no joy without even going through some pain. And one of the things this morning, I'm I'm, I'm on this series on, it's going to be a challenging series. It's been challenging for me as I've been walking through some of these things. But uh, I've been on this series on becoming a walking revival. How many of you know we're not just waiting to get to heaven? You know, we've sung songs and our theology is when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be while we babysit people here on planet earth. God never intended for you to just sit by and wait for you to die, to go to heaven, have a career, make money, buy a house and a home and, and have a family. Those things are blessings, of course. But God intended for your light to shine. God intended for your life to make a difference. God intended for you to have a great yes. influence in the earth right now. Yes. I went out to pick up my parents. My parents are here, mom and dad, from the, the Dalles, Oregon. And uh, Carol and I were waiting and uh, Carol and I, we were sitting there uh, in the uh, reception area at DFW and uh, I got in a conversation with an elderly woman right next to me and she was talking about her her grandson is coming, her son's coming out out of a very dysfunctional family, her mother and her father can't even run their own lives and her son is looking for direction. so she was waiting for him to come, he's going to come and live in Dallas And uh, I just asked her, I said, are you having some kind of chronic pain? She says, yes, I am. In the lower parts of my back, I said, I want you to raise your right arm, right arm, and I'm going to pray for you. And so she kind of looks at me strange, and she raises it up about like this. And I said, in Jesus' name, I speak to the tendons, the ligaments, the blood vessels, and the spinal cord, and I speak life into this vessel which belongs to Jesus Christ. And then I said, how do you feel? I feel much better. That was it. And uh, now, now, the reason I say that, I, says, I said, did you feel better before? Did you feel worse before I prayed? And I said, it's not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit coming to minister to you to let you know that you are important. She was so blown away about that. Now she didn't get total pain-free, but she, she said she got relief. Now what I'm saying all that for is, folks, that's why we're here. Amen. There are people all around us that are opportunities for us to take advantage of. Amen. Now, some of you say, well, pastor, I'm just kind of a shy kind of a guy, and I just don't talk to people, and I don't go up to strangers and talk to people. Well, guess what? You're baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, and Hebrews nine says that he has called us to be flames of fire. You're full of fire this morning. You may say, I don't feel like I've got a whole lot of fire in me. In fact, I feel like I've been drenched and my fire has been put out. And I just don't feel like rejoicing. Well, that's part of the sanctification transformation process. Amen. Because we are people of faith that walk by faith and not by sight. And the Bible says that we're to call those things that are not as though they are. I look at you and I see overcomers, I see winners, I see breakthrough people, I see people highly favored, I see people that are blessed, I see people that have great influence, I'm not looking at sinners, losers, I'm not looking at people that are stuck in a merry-go-ground of spiritual religiosity, I'm looking at people where God wants to fill you with glory and make a difference in your world. That's why we're here. Amen. How many of you like victory in your life? You know, victory, does victory. of course, came through the cross. Victory came when Jesus rose from the dead. Because when he rose, you rose. I'm not sitting here rehearsing my sin all the time. I'm not rehearsing, oh God, oh forgive me a sinner, oh Lord. Lord, forgive me for being weak. Forgive me for being such a bum. Oh, God, forgive me for not talking. Forgive me, Lord, for my bad, bad, bad habits. Oh, God, I'm not praying that way anymore. I'm saying, Father, thank you for making me more than a conqueror. Thank you, Father, for raising me up and giving me the power and the life and the strength to do the impossible. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Good preaching. Got to encourage myself a little bit up here. You say, Pastor Ray, you are in a fantasy. Well, believe that if you want to. Jesus said that if you will believe and not doubt in your heart, all things are possible. Everyone say possible. I believe we're going to have an amazing VBS. I believe we're going to see some amazing salvations in some young people. I believe we've got amazing marriages. Yes. You know, I, 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 my son, some of you know Aaron, he's in the hospital. He may undergo surgery, got a hole, a deflated lung. And you know what? I, I, I want to say thank you to all of you that have visited and prayed. Uh, it's made a difference. He's had experience, some healing. Uh, the doctors do want to sew him up to kind of solidify the healing there so it doesn't reoccur. But uh, just keep praying for Aaron. He's, he's, he really is doing well. But he is bored to tears in that room, in that hospital room. But he is doing much better. Amen? Now, I want to spend a few minutes this morning. I'm not going to hold you a long time. But I'm, I'm going to be opening a subject that I do not have all the answers to. I'm going to be opening a subject... About crisis, tragedy, and problems. Uh, I was reading an article on the internet by a woman who is a psychologist out of Case Western University, or it might be Western Case University, I can't remember. What is it? Case Western. Her name is Julia uh, Alpine. And she wrote, uh, she's in religious studies, and she ra- writes an article on the internet that said this. of Americans, not just churchgoers, 71% of American people are mad at God. They have some form of anger at God today. They're mad at God. They're asking, why God? Why God did you allow the Holocaust? Why was I raised in a poor family? I had a woman several years ago said, why did God? Allow me to be born a woman. I want to be a man so badly, because men get the breaks, men get promotions, men make more, better wages. Why am I a woman? Why did I have cancer? Why did I get sick? Why did my husband leave? Why did my wife leave me? Why did my kids happen? Why did this? Why, Why? Why? Why did I go through a cry? If God is so good like we sing about, why? Am I going through this? It's a good question. It's a very important question. And I think it's important that Christians not bring their Bible out and start just preaching at people and say, well, you don't have enough faith. That's the wrong thing to say to people that are sincerely asking some serious questions. Really important. Because they want to know why. They want to know what is happening. Why would God allow Dictators, Adolf Hitler, killed seven and a half million innocent Jewish people. Some religious people said, well, they were under the judgment of God because they killed and they rejected the Messiah. That's just hogwash. We all had a part of putting Jesus on the cross, our sins. Why did Pol Pot destroy three and a half million Cambodians over in the killing fields in Cambodia? Why why are your neighbors? Why are marriages falling? Why are things happening? Why, Why is our nation turning? Why is there such a political upheaval in our nation right now? Why don't people like me? Why am I not married yet? Why do not I have kids? Why, why have I been bypassed in, in, in my job? And, and people just, I'm invisible. And, and people don't understand that I've been praying. I've been asking. I've been asking. I've been seeking. And I've been knocking. And Jesus said, if you ask, you'll receive. If you knock, it'll be open. And if, and, and, and if you uh, seek and ask and you knock, it'll be open. If you, uh, whatever, I can't remember. It'll, you'll find it. I've been asking, seeking and knocking. Nothing's happening. Where's God? Good questions. Very important questions. Are we on two this morning? How many of you think that's a good these are These are good questions. It's great to stand up here and preach that we're more than conquerors and overcomers and blessed and highly favored of God. But there are some serious things that are people, that people are walking through that we really need to look at. Now, I'm going to make some statements here. Don't all leave at once. Let's take your Bible, and I want you to turn with me, first of all, to John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you that you may have peace. Everyone say, peace. Now, that's not the kind of peace. He's not talking about the kind of peace that comes through circumstantial things happening because things are going your way. He's talking about a peace. The Greek word is a peace that really means out of Isaiah, a peace that passes all understanding. The word peace there that passes all understanding means this. It means I have a peace even though the outside is falling apart. It's a peace that passes the ability to understand or even be able to uh, comprehend why do I have peace when my outside is not working right? That's what Jesus is referring to in this Greek word. You will have peace, he says, in the world... You might have tribulation. What did he say? You will. Everyone say, trouble's coming. Oh, that was big. Here's the problem. We live in a world that lives on painkillers. We live in a world... And even in our Christianity, even in the depths of our theology, even in the depths of people pursuing revival, we want relief. We pursue relief. We want the kind of relief from pain. I want relief. From my crisis, my problem, whether it's small, whether it's large. We get up and we praise God when people hear a breakthrough or a healing. And God does heal and God does give breakthroughs. But can I also tell you another thing? God also sends some storms. In order for us to look at this subject, we have to look at cover to cover from Genesis to Revelations. You cannot take a a subject like this and take a few scriptures, which some ministries have done, and try to build a theology of faith around it. Because God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he who began a good work will be faithful to bring us through, complete it, and bring you out on top. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that is going to create a crisis. But I'm going to try to explain it. God is not fair. I thought God was fair. No, God's not fair. But he's just. And he's good, but he's not fair. Do you notice that in the world we live in today, everybody's trying to make everything equal and fair? Guess what? It'll never be fair in this world. And the reason why it can never be fair is because everyone judges fairness through their eyes. And they judge fairness through their hurt. Today, it's payback. Payback time. I've been treated bad. Now it's payback. I'm going to pay some people back and get some retribution. And God lets it happen. God lets you bypass. You're bypassed on your job. Someone else who doesn't have the education. Maybe they're not even in the same race. Maybe it's a different gender. Where was God? You've been asking, you've been tithing, praying, going to church, seeking the Lord, and you are treated like dirt. Why, God? Don't raise your hands on that one. How many of you know those are important questions? That's not not questions of unbelief. That's not a question of, well, boy, you sure don't have faith in God. No, 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 that's a good question. But here's the thing that I want you to get. Jesus said in the world, he didn't say you might, he said you're going to have problems. Tribulation is a very generic term. When we deal with crisis and problems and issues, when Jesus said in this world we will have, we will have problems, trials, tribulations. But be of good cheer. Now when Jesus says to be of good cheer, I'm going to take you to another scripture that tells us what that means. He's not asking you to deny the existence of a problem. The prayer of faith is not denying that you're hurting. Jesus does not say to lie to yourself and say, I'm not in pain. Are you with me? Yes. Yes. Some people think, well, I, I just, you know, I'm sick and I'm not going to confess that I'm sick. I got a cold. Oh, no, I don't have a cold. I don't have a cold. I don't have. That is toxic faith. That's, Jesus did not ask you to deny your pain. In fact, getting your pain out, talking, sharing, opening it up is important, especially in a setting where you can talk in confidence with other people, but it's not healthy to stay in your pain. It's good to confess it, it's good to acknowledge it, it's good to recognize, I've got pain, I've got hurt, I'm angry, I'm mad, but it's not good to stay there. God never intended for you to stay there. Because if you stay in pain, you become bitter. And bitterness is what begins to build a wall between you and God. I've said this before. God is not after your health. He's not after your wealth. He's not after your family. Satan is after your faith. Because if he has your faith, he's got it all anyway if he can put a wall between you and God, that he knows he's conquered you. Another issue we need to look at is Jesus' death on the cross. How many of you are thankful that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again? Shock number two. I know I haven't even dealt with the fairness thing. I, there's so much on just the issue of why is it God fair? We're going to answer those things in the weeks to come. But I'm just opening this up by way of introduction. But shock number two here is this. <clears throat> is that God is not just only f- not fair. God will allow pain. He doesn't create the pain but he will allow pain to happen in your life we don't have to spend a lot of time on the story of joseph who was favored td jakes put an amazing message out several years ago favor is not fair excellent message Favor is not favor. He was favored. Joseph was favored by, by his father, given a coat of many colors. And guess what favor did? How many have ever been favored then immediately rejected? It's amazing how you're favored with a job and a promotion. People start looking at you, well, what'd you do? I bet you cheated your way to the top. I mean, people think like that. I never knew, I literally never knew that becoming a pastor 28 years ago had a reputation that was horrible. When I became a pastor, people begin to think three things. It's the general public. He's stealing the money, he's after women, and he's power hungry. I've had people say that to me because I'm a pastor. Here's an announcement. Not all pastors are that way. But when you have some televangelists and some preachers mess up, it whitewashes all the rest of the ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody trusts you. I, I never experienced that before. We, 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 know, we, we know what you pastors are all into. We, we, we know how you like to manipulate people and power hungry people. And you're into the money. You know, you're really into the money. Prosperity. Prosperity. Yeah, we, we know what you're after. I had a man, a gentleman, a good man. He was not a believer his wife attended this church several years ago and he he uh, he wanted to talk to me his wife actually she was a faithful member she was a good woman faithful woman in this church her husband never came to this church, but he wanted to talk to me one day he asked to see me and so I, I of course wanted to was glad to see him he comes in and first things out of his mouth he says why in the world is my wife so excited about God? When God is so cruel, he is, he's sick, he allows hungry children to die in third world countries, and he allows innocent people to be hurt. Why, why is my wife so excited about God, and why does she want to come to your church? I said, "Well, I ask her. I, I honestly don't know why." He says, I, "I I feel like I'm in competition as a husband. I mean, she's more in love with Jesus than me." I said, "Well, wait wait a minute. That's that's not it." I said, first of all." I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things, and I'm, I'm talking to you guys here like I was talking to him. I, was, I said, first of all, thank you for coming in. Those are important questions you're asking. But I want you to know that man is created in God's image, and man was created to have a relationship with the Almighty God. The first in the... Life works, life works when, we're, when we fall into place and into an alignment with our Creator. Oh, I'm an agnostic. I don't believe in God. There's no God. I get it. I got it? Okay. Actually, the guy knew a little bit about the Bible. He said, you, tell, me, tell me this. If God is so good, why? This, I'm going to use this phrase. I don't use this, but why in the hell did he put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden just for a stumbling block for everybody to fall? Good question. I mean, if God is so good, why did he put the tree there? He said, of all the trees in the garden, Adam, you may freely eat. But of this tree, if you eat of it, and the day you eat of it, you'll die. You're telling me God's good? That's not really good. I would never purposely put a stumbling block in the front of my child to let them fall into it out of their ignorance. I wouldn't do that if I was God. I mean, he was asking some pretty good questions. How many of you think those are good questions? Okay. Here's a guy who really wants to know the reality. Why are you so sold out? Why is God so good? I said, well, first of all, I told him this. I said, you know, I have a friend in our church. And uh, he gave his uh, daughter a doll about two feet high. And you know, in, in the back of this doll, there's a string and a ring. And you pull the ring out. And you pull it out and let the ring go. And she goes, I love you. Today I think you're such a sweet girl, my f- or sweet friend. And you keep pulling out, and then she just says, "This is we're going to have a great time together. You're so beautiful." And I said, "This is a doll. You pull the string back, and the doll says what has been pre-recorded for it to say." I said, "God created man." not with a string at his back, God created man with a free will. He gave man a free will. And he did put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into the garden, not like you think, for man to stumble so that man would be separated. That was not God's intention. When God created man, because how many of you know that all crisis, tragedy, and problems start with the Garden of Eden? That's where it starts. If you're going to start with crisis, problems, and tragedies, you've got to go back to Genesis 2, Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had perfect harmony there was no tribulation there was no trouble Adam was created in God's image God gave him stewardship he called him the keeper of the garden he would name the animals by the way he wasn't just going around calling chickens pigs horses and cows he was declaring through his words creative empowerment over creation because in the beginning God said and God was created in the very likeness of God he had an amazing power and dominion Over the earth. God gave that to Adam. Everyone say dominion. Dominion. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, wow, you are taking a long way. No, this needs to be explained. Because when Adam was in the garden, there was a sovereignty on Adam. He had dominion over the earth. But God allowed, everyone say allow. How many of you here are married? How many of you are glad that when you asked your partner to marry you, that no string was pulled in the back? I love you because you have lots of money and I would like to be with you for the rest of my life. You would say, get lost lady or guy. You would say, "Are you real? Do you love me for me? Is, is is there anything here? Do we have communication? Do we have any connection?" Or, or how? there. By the way, there's about one third of nations around the world that have what we call pre-arranged marriage. How how many of you like to live in a country where your marriage partner is already pre-arranged before you even get to see him? There's countries like that. How many of you like to live in a country like that? Anybody out there? Oh, well, there's one. There's one honest guy. <laughs> one honest guy wants a prearrangement. Let me tell you something. God gave, I told this gentleman, I said, God gave man a free will. God didn't create the problem. God entrusted Adam with the whole world. First he gave him the garden. From the garden, if he would have taken of the tree of life and not made the wrong choice, God would have opened the entire planet to Adam. Now you may say, well, Pastor where do you get all this? Luke 4. Remember when Jesus was driven into the wilderness? Remember one of the temptations? It was when Satan took Jesus up into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms and all the power and all the glory of the earth. And Jesus, or Satan said to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me now, all the kingdoms and its glory and all of its majesty, which was given to me. How was it given to him? Through Adam's disobedience. Do you know what? When when you, when I disobey God, Now we can come back to the throne of grace and obtain mercy, thank God. But if I continue in sin, I lose something. Smith Wigglesworth said this, I shudder at the thought of sin or rebellion against God. It will cost you your anointing. I shudder. That's what Smith Wigglesworth said. When Adam fell in the garden... Isn't it interesting what happens? This is the beginning of the crisis. The Bible says when they fell and they partook of the knowledge. By the way, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, contrary to what you see on television, was not an apple tree. And it's not a fruit tree. It's the tree of knowledge. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good knowledge. Good knowledge. Do you know that there are people that know the Bible? Good. How many of you think the Bible's good knowledge? Do you know that you can know the scriptures and still go to hell? Jesus said to the Pharisees, You guys are lawyers of the law. You're scholars of the scriptures. But you won't come to me that you might have life. Good knowledge. You can have the knowledge of God and still miss Jesus. That's why, that's why I believe Jesus, when he chose his 12 disciples, didn't choose scholars. He chose fishermen, tax collectors, thieves guys full of lust the sons of zebedee were what i call power hungry twin brothers that were wondering who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom man what a motley crew i would say jesus you're nuts why would you choose 12 disciples that are goons they're losers they're not the kind of people in public that are going to really do you a lot of good But why does God choose the weak and the foolish and the people that we would never choose? So he gets all the glory. This gentleman in my office, he says, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I said, you notice in the tree of the garden, God loves you so much, He allows you, and He gives you the right to have a choice. Because He's not going to force you. That hit Him. He's not going to force you to love Him. He's not going to force you to come to Him. He's given you the freedom to look and choose and make your own choices, and you get to live with it. He lets you do that. Because He wants to have a relationship with people who actually want him isn't that what you want how many of you want to be loved by people who want you who love you you don't know want somebody with a string on the back i love you because pastor ray told me to tell you every day that i need to tell you that i love you that's not love that's mechanical it's a machine I'm doing it by faith. I'm calling those things that are not as though they are. I don't love you, but I will say I love you anyway. Now, a person who talks like that has not had a revelation of Jesus. How many of you know, I can't love until I've learned to receive love? Your ability to forgive and love and care and see beyond the problem is determined by how much revelation you have received From Jesus himself. He who loves little has been forgiven little. He who has been forgiven much loves much. It's a very important statement. You will never be able to love people if yourself, if you look at yourself and you say, I'm unforgivable, I am trash, I am nothing but scum, I'm a dummy, I'm a bum. And so when someone else does something wrong to you, you become so critical. Because you haven't learned to receive grace yourself. You can't give what you don't have. When someone falls into sin, you will be... How dare you? Who gives you the right to stand up here and preach? By the way, may I say something to you? I'm not up here because I went to Bible school or I went to a great church one time. I'm up here because Ray is the chief of sinners. I'm not not up here because I got some holy robe on. I'm up here simply because of His grace. Why did God use a man by the name of the Apostle Paul who had a speech impediment? He had a glitch in his life. The Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10 said this: "Paul, he's a man of great knowledge, but the guy can't even talk. But we like Apollos. Apollos means polished. He could speak well, but you know what? There's not one letter, not one epistle in the New New, New Testament by Apollos. And you know why? Because Paulus didn't need to write anything down because his strength was in his ability to articulate, communicate. But Paul had a glitch. Paul had a weakness. Paul couldn't communicate well. So you know what he did? He wrote. He took his glitch and he turned it into something productive that's why we have the new testament the new testament today most of the books in the new testament were written by a man who couldn't talk well but he could write because he used his weakness instead of uh, feeling intimidated and cowering down and feeling like he was a nobody oh, i'm not as good as a i think i'll just I. I I can't talk like Apollos. Instead, he turned his weakness and said, I can write. And now we have amazing revelation in written form called the Bible today. All because of a man who decided not to get bitter, but became better. And we have, how many here have glitches in your life? Guess what? God wants to take your glitch and turn it into glory. Turn to your neighbor right now. Your glitch is coming into glory right now. Your weakness is coming into strength. As dark as it is. I will never forget this one person came to me one day and said, Pastor Ray, some of you are probably not going to come to me after you hear this one. Bruce again, Pastor Ray, I'm in, I'm in the most ungodly, the most perverse employment I've ever been in. And I just, will you pray? Stand with me here. Pray. Give me a job with this believers and Christians and Christian music. And I want a boss who loves Jesus. I'm just tired of living in this hellhole. And I said, I will not. What, what did you say? I said, I'm not going to pray for that. Why not? You, you want me to go through pain? No, no, no. Does the steps of a good man, are they ordered by God or not? Well, what are you saying? I said, are your steps ordered by the Lord? Well, I, I guess they are. I said, you, re- you know why you're in the darkness? Because you're so bright. And God wants your light to shine. been it's not comfortable. It's, it's unfair. And it's perversion. It's, 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 it's filthiness all around me. And just bosses are cheating and flirting. And doing nothing. I said, that's where you shine. I'm going to pray that it gets darker and you get brighter. And I'll never forget her face. Thank you, Lord. Give me the, give me the faith to the believe for this in Jesus' name. She had no faith for that. You know why? Because she was looking for relief. We have people today in our Christian circles. By the way, this message is not the kind of message that pulls people out of their seats. And I thought, oh, shout hallelujah. He's saying to rejoice in your cry. I know it's not that kind of a message to say God answers all my problems. He gives me every breakthrough. And he turns all my troubles into a prize. Oh, thank you. No. Sometimes God lets you sit in your ashes like Job. He lets you be sold into prison like Joseph for 18 years of the best prime time of your life. Where your son is taken away from you. in a what that you don't know where he's. He's been kidnapped. He, you don't know if he's dead or alive. And then at the end he arises as a prince. We want power, but we don't want pain. Let me say this. God never allows you to go through any pain. That He doesn't give you the grace. Because He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the floods shall not overtake you, and the fire will not quench scorch you. Now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, I, don't, I, I, I still don't like this message. Well, guess what? I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please him. I, I'm not here for you. I, I love you. I care, about, I'm not here to please you. I'm, I'm here to bring, because here's the thing. I believe many of you are on a breakthrough moment. Some of you have gone through hell and you don't realize you can't have a resurrection without a death. You can't have power without weakness. Some of you are hiding with personal weakness. You're so ashamed. You're so guilty. You're so guilt-ridden. You think God's angry at you and it is the opposite. Here's one for you. Jesus coming to Peter. Peter and the disciples, man, they're coming in Jerusalem. They're hailing the king. The Messiah's coming. Palm Sunday. Wow. I can just hear Peter and Andrew talking to John and two sons, man. we, we, We have made it. Wow. Look at this. Jerusalem is welcoming Jesus. He's our Messiah. He's awesome, man. And we're the 12. We're part of the big group that he chose. We're on the inside. And everyone said, Hail to King Jesus, the Son of David, the Messiah. First thing Jesus does, he comes into the synagogue And he does something so crazy. He starts destroying the church. Turns over the tables and the money changers. And he says, you're all a bunch of den of thieves. All you are is takers. None of you are givers. You just take. You're a den of thieves. You've turned my house into a den of thieves. My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've turned it. I am sure Judas having a private talk with Peter said, get over there and chill this Messiah down. He's we just gave him the best parade in town and now he's making everybody mad at him. How many people want to come to a church like that? It may happen, someday. Anyway. Jesus comes in. Not only that, then he starts rebuking. The Pharisees, and he says, you tear this temple down, I'll raise it up in three days. They couldn't understand his speech. Things are going weird. Jesus now, the, the fickle crowd that was praising him as the king, the Messiah, the military, the political, economic, they saw him as a king. See, the people wanted to make Jesus their king to work for them. I am following Jesus for what he gives me, not for what he wants from me. That's what a test will do. A crisis, a crisis brings the motives to the surface. Amen? Can I tell you and give you a grade on my experience? F. I have failed so many times. I've lost my temper. I've had to apologize to my wife and to my kids. Said thing wrong. I've even come to church with the temper tantrum. I battle lust. I battle doubt. I battle issues of insecurity. Here's one for you about Pastor Ray. You meant. man, Pastor Ray, this is all about being transparent. That's exactly right. The Lord told me several years ago, he says, stop going up to people and asking them, what'd you think of the message? I used to come up to people oh, oh, and what'd Bob, you, what'd, you, what'd, you th- what'd you think of the message? Oh, great, Pastor. And go away thinking, wow. <laughs> what, what did you think of the word today? Oh, it's always good. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you Lord. What, 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 did, what, what did you think of the word today? You know the one person I didn't like asking? My wife. Because she she's, always, she's always honest. She was, You're a little too long. <sighs> what do you mean I was too long? I was following the Holy Spirit. No, you, know, you Yeah, I know, but you were a little too long. Uh, okay, okay. I didn't like her. But I loved you guys. And the Holy Spirit one day said, "Stop asking everybody their opinion about your message." Right. I said, "But Lord, I was just kind of getting feedback," and the Lord said, "No, that's a lie. You want to praise Him in." Wow. Well, why are you up here preaching then, Pastor Ray? I have no idea. <laughs> All I can tell you is God chooses the weak. He chooses the foolish. He chooses the things that are not to confound the wisdom of men. I'm not up here because I'm better than you. There's no holy robes on me. God, do you know what? The weaker you are, the greater, the stronger you are in His eyes. The darker, the darkness that you've walked through actually privileges gives you the privilege of experiencing something that is so amazing but it is hidden everyone say hidden Hidden. last text and then i'm done we're wrapping it up jump back with me to matthew 13 verse 44 i got to close because my time is gone Notice what it says, one verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Everyone say treasure. Hidden in the field. Now the word filled is taken from a Greek word which means the world. It also means trash, problems circumstances. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. How many have ever looked at a problem and thought there was a treasure in it? How many of you ever thought of yourself as being in the field and you put yourself down, say, "I'm just dumb, I don't have a college education, I have no talent, I have no gift i can't, i can't, i can't i'm weak i'm i'm dumb i'm i'm not good i'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not handsome enough, I'm not built enough i'm i can't i can't, i can't, I can't you see what you're doing? The reason why the treasure is hidden is you spend all your time looking at the field. the bible says The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden. Now, it's not hidden from you. It's actually right there for you to see. But the problem is, your eyes are on the field. And guess what? When your eyes are on the field, and all your eyes are on the problem or the crisis, you'll never see the treasure. But notice what Jesus says. The man finds it. And something changes. He hides it. Everyone say hides. Why would he hide it? Because once he opens his eyes to see it. It changes the value of the field. It changes the way you see the field. Once you despise the field, I despise where I come from. I despise who I married. I despise this job. I despise this problem. I despise it. There's nothing good in it. But once you discover the treasure, I like this job. This job's good. This is a good job. Yesterday was a bad job. Today is a good job. I didn't like myself yesterday, but today I like myself. It was hidden. Do you know why it's hidden? Because we spend all of our time on looking at what God hasn't done instead of what He has done. We spend all our time looking at what God hasn't done rather than what He is doing and has done. And so we miss it. It's hidden Because of pride, it's also hidden because of what I call personal expectations that we place on God that he should do for me, and it better be done that way. I discovered a long time ago, Lord, I want a big church. God says, no, you're going to have a smaller church. Now, some people say, well, that's not faith. No. No. It's not my church. It's not my house. It's his house. So stop worrying about it, Ray. Work with the people that I put in your house. By the way, do you know you're here because God planted you here? The Bible says the Lord adds to the house those that are to be added. You're not here because of me. You would have been gone a long time ago because of me. I'm not trying to put myself down. That's that's not why you're added. You're added here because God adds you. Read it, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, 46, 46 and 47. But notice, what, notice this, this, this revelation is phenomenal. It says, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. What do you mean buying the field? He begins to embrace, he recognizes the need that everything that I'm walking through was worth it. Because I would have never known it had I not opened my eyes. Let, let me let, let me say this to you. Smith Wigglesworth. I'm going to close with this. Smith Wigglesworth was known for raising healing. He had a he was he was called the apostle of faith, a, a real faith ministry, and healed thousands. But there were thousands that did not get instant healings. There were many that got healed later. Day later, month later, year later, even sometimes years later they would be healed. But one thing he always told people all the time, he said, I will never pray for a person twice. That was, that was his way. He says, if, he'd always have prayer lines and then when they come down and pray, he'd only pray for you once. If, if he saw that you came down the night before when they would have their what they call revivals, if he noticed that you would, were prayed for the night before, the two or three nights before, he'd say, did I pray for you two nights ago? Uh, yeah, but I'm not healed and I'm down here to be prayed for again. Go back to your chair. You're not believing God. Go, go, go back and sit down. How many would like to stand with that evangelist? That actually happened. John G. Lake actually confirms that as well. Jonathan Edwards. Other, I, I, I myself have done a lot of history on revival. But Smith Willsworth believed that once you prayed the prayer of faith, it's settled. You don't, you don't just believe God, you now walk out your faith. You declare it. Yeah, but I still got pain in my body. Still believe God? You are going to offer what the Bible refers to. I don't have time to go there. It's called the sacrifice. Of thanksgiving. How many have ever been thankful because God, because somebody gave you something? Okay, that's easy. But what if you got nothing, and you're still thankful? And you you're walking and calling and believing and seeing those things that are not as though they are. It's called the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the sacrifice of healing, the sacrifice of favor on my job. Smith Wigglesworth, 1909. He's in Northern Ireland. He's having a series of meetings. Back in those days, they didn't have telephones, they had telegraphs. He gets a wire. Come home immediately. Your wife is deathly sick and on the verge of dying. Come home now. So back in those days, they didn't have airplanes. Like, well, they did have airplanes. Wright brothers. I don't know if he got the airplane, but they they traveled mostly by by ship, ferries, things like that. He gets home about a day or two later. They didn't have funeral parlors back in those days. They only had, when someone passed, they left them in the bedroom, and and then they buried them afterwards. As Smith is coming home on the ferry. He's saying, Father, you know how much I love Polly. Polly was his wife. She was in her early 50s. I love Polly. Lord, I need Polly. Oh, God, I need Polly. Lord, raise Polly. Lord, he's praying 24-7, believing God for Polly. He gets home, he notices a bunch of sad faces around the front of, of the mission, which was also his home. Goes into the house. Doctor says she's, she's gone on to be with the Lord. Smith Wigglesworth goes up to the bed. He sees her. And by this time, the body is disintegrating. It's coming apart. She's been there for about 24 hours or 48 hours, somewhere like that. And he starts weeping. He asks all of his family to leave the bedroom. And this was his normal way of doing it. He's known for raising 20 people from the dead. He picks Polly out of the bed, his wife. And he takes This is what he would do in raising people from the dead. He picks her up from her body, lays her hands against the wall like this, and he's holding her up with his hands held on her hands, nose to nose, and he says, Polly Smigglesworth. In the name of Jesus, I command life to come back into this body. In Jesus' name. For 20 minutes, he continues to speak alive. He cursed death. He cursed the spirit of death. He commanded the spirit of death to leave and the spirit of life to come back into that body. And guess what? She comes back to life. She stands there and starts sneezing. Then she starts coughing, takes a big gasp of air, and she looks and she stumbles a little bit, and she looks at her husband and she says, Smith, what did you do? What did you do? And Smith is weeping. Polly, I I need you. I need you with me in the mission and the ministry, and I need you. Smith, I was standing before the throne of God and the angels and the color and the lightning, and I was standing, and all of a sudden, Jesus from the throne looked at me and said, You must go, and all of a sudden, I'm standing there, and you're breathing down my throat. And he looked, she looks at Smith and says, Smith, God has spoken. My time is over. God is going to give you the grace to go the rest of your life. But I need you, Polly. I need you now. I need you here with me. And she says, Smith, let me go. The kids came up, saw their mom alive. For about two hours, they're hugging. She's talking about heaven. She's talking about family members that are already there. And she says, I'm going back to bed. And she died again. Smith never remarried. But his ministry received a double portion. All of a sudden his miracles intensified. The power of God on Smith Wigglesworth intensified because he chose to say, "Lord, not my will, but your will be done." How many of you believe God can take a crisis, turn it into a problem? You see, we want relief. God's interested in the reason why He is still good even though a crisis takes place is because His nature is good. He's a good God. I'll never forget talking to that gentleman whose wife attended this church in closing. I said, do you know why God God knew that Adam would fail. God knew that Adam would listen to his wife and they would take... God knew that Adam would... His eyes would be open and they would run in shame. And the first thing when God came into the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Because he was hiding. Do you know that most people run from God when they don't know God? They don't know His grace. They don't know His goodness. Jesus said, Adam, where are you? The Lord said, where are you? He says, I hid myself from your presence because I discovered my nakedness. See, nakedness is shame. Nakedness is where I glorify my sin more than the grace of God. When I look at all of you guys, you know what I see? Winner's. I don't look at your weaknesses. I don't look at your sins. I see conquerors. I see blessed, highly favored. Do I know your faults? Sure. I know some of your faults. You know my faults. What are we going to do? Sit here and criticize each other? Or are we going to let Jesus be glorified in the midst of it in spite of it? I choose to let Jesus be glorified no matter how bad the sin where sin abounds. His grace doth much more abound. Do you know what Adam started saying? When he says, Who said? Who said to you that you were naked? Who said you were naked? It was the woman! Notice how we're we're in problems. You know what we do? We get into the blame game. "It, it, It was the woman! The woman said. It was the snake! It was the serpent! It's the blame. We start blaming everybody. Instead of saying, Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. But here's the beautiful thing. The Lord slew an animal and covered his nakedness and gave mercy and grace and blessing. That's where the crisis of mankind started. Chapter 4 of Genesis, we have the first Sibling fight, which turns into murder. Cain kills his brother. We have incest. We have battles. We have from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel built, the the unbelievable mankind, the perversion. Actually, before that, chapter 8, before where Noah, the Bible says that violence... And corruption was on the face of the earth where God literally destroyed the entire earth with the exception of Noah and his eight children, his eight kids, or all eight of them, actually. Six of them, six kids, two parents. But we see see here, we're all from creation. There's been crisis, problems, and tragedy. The Lord is good. The Lord is faithful. What I have to believe in, I want you to believe three things. Number one, you need to believe in the integrity of God's goodness. God's not a liar. He's not out to manipulate and play games and pull your string. He wants you to be honest with him. Number two, there's sufficient grace and love and mercy when you come boldly, he said to come boldly, he didn't say to come with intimidation he says to come boldly that you might obtain mercy and thirdly he has a purpose do you know there's a purpose for every problem nobody here has the right to be ashamed of what you've come through, what you've walked through, or what's happening in your life you don't have to do penance you don't have to do anything Because penance is taking Jesus off the cross and said, Your blood isn't sufficient. All he wants you to be is open and honest and just say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't get it. There's one other scripture I'm not going to turn to. It says, we see through a glass darkly or dimly but later we will see all things." It literally means foggy. There are some things in this life the Bible doesn't answer. It's not going to answer every question you have. But that's why we trust in the Lord and we do not lean unto our own understanding. But when I place my understanding And the right to know, I have the right to know what you're doing is you're saying, God, you will. And you're actually placing yourself as God. There's some things God doesn't answer. I don't know everything. I don't don't know a lot. The more I know about the Bible, the more I'm beginning to know how much I don't know. Are you with me on this? What's the purpose of this message? What's the purpose of becoming a walking, living revival? Because God wants you to begin to realize that the things and the places and the people and the things that you're in and walking through right now are divine, God-given opportunities for you to see your influence in His grace flow through your life. A crisis is a treasure. There's a treasure in every crisis hidden in the field. Notice first, We have to receive revelation of the treasure before it changes the way we look at the field. The field was worthless before, but when the revelation came, he found the treasure. It changed the price of the field. He sold everything to buy it. All of a sudden, the way you see what you're going through changes because you see and you've discovered the treasure. Let's bow our heads. Father, we pray right now. We pray right now we release fear. We break off pain. We break off misunderstanding, unbelief, short-sightedness. We ask you right now, Father, that you would just begin to open our eyes. See that we are a walking, living, breathing revival full of the Holy Spirit, not arrogant because it's a treasure in earth and vessels. Lord, I'm asking you right now to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and fire. Help us to see the treasure instead of the field, instead of the crisis, the problem, the issue. Sometimes we get the the answer to why, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes you delay, sometimes you don't. Sometimes we get the resurrection of the dead, and we don't. But it's in your hands, and we believe in spite of it all. Maybe this morning you may say, You know what, Pastor Ray? I know Scripture. I've I got a little bit of religion, but I don't know Jesus like this. That's your, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. I, I want to know Jesus more like this. I want to know him. Okay? Thank you, Lord. I just feel the Holy Spirit just saying, wait a minute. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is, is trying to speak to us trying to open our eyes to recognize that he's working and it's a good work that's why Paul says who shall be able to separate us from the love of God so peril nakedness persecution, famine sword, false brethren be able to separate us from the love of God it's because he saw the f- pearl in the peril He found the treasure in the field. I want everybody to take your hands and put on your eyeballs and just say this with me. Dear Lord, open my spiritual eyes. Open my mind to see the eternal And to stop looking at the temporal. Open my ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You have given me opportunity to walk in your favor. To be a blessing. And to see and to call. Those things that are not as though they are. I am blessed. I am favored. I am chosen. I am redeemed. I am called. I am empowered. I am victorious. And I refuse to be held hostage to any crisis, to any problem to anything that I do not understand because you are the source of my life in Jesus name Amen let's stand to our feet praise God if you'd like prayer this morning I'd love to pray with you other than that you have an awesome day in the Lord God bless you (laughs)